Welcome, everybody. It is good to see you today. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Zion and always excited to come uh, and preach. And uh, today we're going to be talking through Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. And we're, if you're new here, going through a series on the book of Luke. And we're in the part of Luke where Jesus is winding down his ministry, headed to Jerusalem. And so he has some intense conversations, has an, uh, intense uh, sayings and teachings that he does before he goes to Jerusalem, where, as we know, he uh, enters into his passion, the time of the cross, what we celebrate as Holy Week. Um, and so, yeah, today we'll be in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 22 to 30. Uh, and as I was reading this passage, it reminded me of, of a story of, of with a friend. I was talking to a friend a few years ago, and I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody that just tries to up themselves like crazy, like they, you know, they're the best thing since white rice, you know, just incredible, you know, everybody knows them on the block, they've been here, you know, forever, whenever they walk out, people just shout in their name, uh, they're just, they're just amazing, and so we were talking about a mutual friend, and he was like, oh yeah, I know him, yo, we cool, we go back mad long, you know what I'm saying, and I was like, okay, like I didn't ask for all that history, I uh, just mentioned this dude, you know what I'm saying? And, but he, he just, he wanted to show that he was connected uh, on the block and that, you know, everybody got their, you know, his name uh, in their mouth because, you know what, he, he, he's got it like that. And so I, I had the privilege of after having this conversation, how well this guy knew him and they hang out and blah, 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 of seeing uh, that guy come uh, to see him a few weeks later. And so I, I, was, I just happened to be talking to this guy again, and this, that guy walked in the room that we were talking in, and he went up to him, like, yo, give him a pound, like he knew him for his whole life. And the guy stopped him and was like, what's your name again? Uh, <laughs> yo, and if you know me, my pettiness was just like, oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me witness this moment right here. <laughs> And this dude had never met this guy. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. I don't know if they actually met in the past, but I know in that moment, he had no clue who this guy was. And I just, I just stood there and smiled like, yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you ever thank Jesus for the wrong things? Yeah, that was me. And it reminded me of this passage today because, you know, as we read it, we're going to see is that a lot of us are going to get to the entrance to the kingdom of God and we'll be talking Jesus our whole life like he's our homeboy. And Jesus is going to look at us and ask a question. Who are you again? I got real serious real fast. <laughs> Let's read. Verse 22, Jesus went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. 
Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word uh, that you have given us today in the book of Luke. I pray that you will help us receive what you have to say, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, what the Spirit of God is saying to us today, that you would till the ground of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this lady or whoever this person is has been listening uh, to Jesus and uh, hearing, you know, if you've been coming the last month, month and a half, you realize that Jesus has kind of had one note uh, in his last few conversations, in his last few teachings, this sense of urgency around salvation. Uh, and it seems like, you know, the people he's talking to are kind of starting to realize what Jesus is saying. And so this question comes up from this person as they, I would say, almost have like an epiphany as Jesus is going through his teachings. And, and they ask, you know, Jesus, are there not a lot of people that are going to make it? You know, this is a very appropriate question to ask after every uh, teaching and every conversation that we've been privy to on Jesus' road to Jerusalem. And of course... Jesus does not answer the question, uh, as he usually does, but reveals a truth uh, about salvation. He gives an indirect but answer, but it should answer this person's question. And so this truth about salvation that Jesus reveals to answer this question is that many people who think they are saved will be rejected at the entrance of the kingdom of God. Many people who think they are saved will be rejected at the entrance of the kingdom of God. You know, they talk a lot about the fear of God in scripture, and that should strike fear in your heart and should cause some inventory to be had in your life. I know it does for me, and as I wrestled with this text this week, I wrestled with what that means for us. Verse 24 where it says, Jesus says, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Today, what I hope is that you will think deeply about your salvation. You know, a lot of times I think it's really easy as we listen to a sermon to think about who we wish was listening to it. Or who we wish was here to hear this sermon or uh, who we're going to send this to afterwards. But what I would ask everybody here is, I want you to think about you today. I want you to think deeply about your salvation. Because the crowd Jesus is speaking to is a group of people that felt 100% assured that they were God's people and that they would be allowed entrance into the kingdom of God. 
And that is the same crowd that I believe that is before me today as I read this passage. See, Israel thought they were saved through their lineage. They thought, man, I'm, I'm a son of Abraham. I am a child of Israel or Jacob. I live within the promise of God and because of who my great, 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 great grandparents were and all of them down, I will enter into the kingdom of God. I am a child of Abraham, which makes me a child of God. Israel thought they were for sure going to enter in. They thought they could do no wrong. They had it. They were good. Their blood was the ticket price to enter in. And all they had to do was show their blood before God and God would accept them. Today, I think we may have a little bit of a different issue. I think many of us think we are saved through proximity. Proximity to Jesus. In verse 26, it says, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Right? Eating and drinking in, in the presence of somebody, especially in that culture, was a significant thing. I think even today it's a significant thing if we invite somebody out to eat with us or we are with somebody uh, that we invite them over to our home or provide food. That is a significant thing. But with Jesus, it is often a problem that we think that proximity to him means relationship with him. Today, it may seem what proximity to him may mean. It may mean membership in a church. It may mean I have family members or a spouse or a loved one that knows Jesus, and because of that, I'm good. It may mean attendance to certain events or church events or Conferences, it may mean switching on the TV every Sunday morning to make sure you hear a sermon. The truth is, we often think that we are saved through proximity to Jesus. But what Jesus reveals is that it is neither lineage nor proximity that is enough to bring salvation. And so I ask for you to reflect, what do you think saves you? It's a good question to ask. I like to ask that question because I love to hear what people say. If I'm doing my job or not. How people respond to that answer. What do you think saves you? If somebody asked you today... What saves you? What is your response? I think there are many people who have said the sinner's prayer, but have never had the fruit of faith in Jesus. I think there are many people who turn on TBN or turn on the right YouTube channel every week. but do not have the fruit of salvation. 
I think there are a lot of people that have gone to a conference or a crusade or a retreat and have felt good about themselves, have had emotional highs. but have not had the fruit of salvation. See, church, we cannot be fooled. The only entrance into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. See, Jesus gives us three symbols here in this parable that he tells. The door, the master of the house, and the house itself. The master of the house is Jesus, and the house is the kingdom of God, and the door is the way into the kingdom of God. Right? There are going to be many that try to enter into the door, as we read in verse 24, but Jesus says they will not be able. There is only one door, there is only one entrance into the kingdom of God. And there are going to be a lot of people at that door clamoring to enter in. But many of them will not be able to get in. And the reason that Jesus gives that they can't enter in is because Jesus does not know them. Family, the only entrance into eternity is Jesus. For the Jews, that meant this, that when they rejected him, they rejected their place in his promise. That if they rejected Jesus, Jesus says they are no longer children of Abraham. For if they were truly children of Abraham and children of the promise then they would have known the Messiah when he was before them. But when they rejected Jesus and then they come before the door, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to say, I'm sorry, I do not know you, you workers of evil. There's this constant tension that scripture gives us that we cannot be neutral with Jesus. And we've been talking about this over the last two months that if you are not a worker of righteousness, if you are not known by Jesus and know Jesus, if you are not producing the fruit of righteousness in your life, then you cannot be a neutral person. You are a worker of evil. You are on the enemy's side. You are someone who is led by Satan. You are somebody who is part of the kingdom of darkness and advancing those plans. For the Jews, that meant... They were cut out of the vine. For us, we have to ask the question, does Jesus know me? Does Jesus know me? I would venture to say that a lot of people in the American church know a lot about Jesus. Our head knowledge of Jesus is through the roof, whether it's right head knowledge or wrong head knowledge. That's another story. But we got a lot of knowledge. I just watched 20 TikToks about the Bible. And let me tell you, I got a, no a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is. I just went down a YouTube spiral trail and I got a lot of knowledge about the Bible and about Jesus. 
I follow 30 accounts on Instagram that are constantly giving me great threads. I know a lot about Jesus. I got my aunt or my grandma that's always sending me scripture verses. Trust me, I know a lot about Jesus. But head knowledge does not equate relationship. Look at our political figures. Love them or hate them, I know every little dirty secret about a lot of these people. Right? You look at TMZ, you look at celebrities, we know what they ate for, for lunch and if their bowels aren't moving properly. <laughs> Say I'm lying. Right? We know all about keeping up with the Kardashians. But if you see Kim walking down the street and you're like, I know what kind of butter you eat, right? The most intimate details about her life, but Kim don't know you. Kim's like, get out of my house if you're showing up. You're going to get arrested for being a stalker. We know a lot about Jesus. But does Jesus know us? I think maybe a better question is, has Jesus changed us? When someone leaves an impact on my life, I've been intimate with that person. I know that person. That person has corrected me. That person has seen the, the, the good and the bad and has spoken into my life, into my situations, has prayed for me, has walked with me through fire. They've left a mark on me. Has Jesus changed me? Have I been close enough to him where his touch has revolutionized my heart and my mind and my attitude and my calendar and my work and my life and my friendships? Church, if we are rejected at the door, two things happen here. The door is closed and it will not be reopened. There is no second chance on the day of judgment. Right? I know in some quote-unquote versions of Christianity, you can pray for the dead. Or you can speak with people in the afterlife and all of this other either demonic or ridiculous thought. The scripture is clear. Once we get to that entrance, once we are at the day of judgment, the book is closed on our life. We will just be held account for everything that we have done. There is no second chance after that. And if the door is closed, at that door, there will be exponential sadness. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's like when I give my kids like a thousand chances. And then, I, you know, they, they know when it's up. It's like, all right, 
I ain't negotiating anymore. Negotiation time is over. They know at that point I done messed up. Now they get not they get nada. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and what they had is now taken away. You had a half an hour of TV time. Now you get negative one hour of TV time. <laughs> right? And at that moment, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. They throw themselves on the floor. They cry. They do all the things. But the time is past. It's done. And in that moment, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be exponential sadness. God, I thought, thought we cool. I ate with you. I heard a lot of sermons about you. Titi Wanda, like she, she always talking about you. <laughs> but Jesus will say, depart. I never knew you. See, church, we must strive to know Jesus. If I ask you how you know you are saved and you cannot confidently answer that you have a relationship with Jesus, then I am worried. A lot of us have been around the things of God and we've been pondering that relationship with Jesus. We've been pondering taking that next step of will I actually lay down my life to take up what he has for me? Will I actually make room in my heart so that he can dwell in there? Will I actually do what he is called to repent and to obey and know him in this way? The fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3.10. Do I have a relationship with him? Do, do I know him and does he know me? Am I obedient towards him? Have I been changed by him? Have I followed him above all else? I love this word strive here that Jesus says. Because if you look up how this word is generally used in the New Testament, it means to fight for or to contend for. And so when he says strive to enter through the narrow door, this means to fight to know Jesus so you will not be rejected from entering the kingdom of God for eternity. When Paul says, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race, he's using that same word. At the end of his life, he has striven to enter into the narrow door. He has fought to fight the good fight, to, to, to end the race, to come to the end of his life and say he has contended. He has contended with the world. He has contended with himself. He has contended with the powers that be. And he has striven to enter into the narrow door. Church, have you contended to know Jesus?
We fight for so many things in our life. We fight for friends. We in Sunset right now. I knew I grew, I grew up in Sunset most of my days. We know loyalty on these streets. What that means, you fight for that person. We fight for family. We fight for our right to privacy. We fight for our, our, our leisure time. I got to make sure I got my alone time or, you know, I got my time with my friends or whatever it is. We fight for things in our life. We make sure that we have certain things, that we have certain amenities in life. We, we feel entitled and a right to these things and we make sure that we have them. But have we fought for our relationship with Jesus? So often that's the first thing that goes out of us in our life, our fight to be with Jesus. That's the first thing on the chopping block when times are hard. It's the first thing we walk away from, oh, he understands. It's cool. We quote some cheap grace preacher or verses and we go on with our life, but have you fought to know Jesus? Have you fought do, through discouragement? Have you fought through depression? Have you fought through anxiety? Have you fought through overwhelming odds against you? Have you fought to know Jesus? When the days it's even hard to get out of bed, have you fought to know Jesus? The days when you feel like your life is crashing around you, the, the days that you lost your job or that things went wrong in family or this friend you found out betrayed you, have you fought to know Jesus? Or has Jesus been like everything else in your life that you throw away in the trash because you're not feeling well today? Paul lists the things that he fought through, shipwreck, Beatings, deaths. All the things that happen in his life. When life beats you down and everything is screaming to give up, have you fought to know Jesus? Sometimes I don't have a lot of fight in me. On those days where I just think, man, life is terrible. I'd rather lay in my bed for 12 hours than do anything. Those days, most of all, I ask myself, will I fight to know Jesus today? When the easiest thing for me to do is scroll on my phone from one reel to the next, I have to ask myself, will I fight to know Jesus today? When life has thrown one thing after another and I look into the heavens and I say, God, again, another thing. Forget this. Will I fight to know Jesus today? 
Even though many of us may act like it, many of us know that life is not dandies and roses. Life is hard. Life is painful. And when things collapse, when things don't go our way, when things look like, how can I deal with one more thing? God, don't you see my predicament? Don't you see my life? Don't you see the weight added on? Don't you see yet one more time? I thought I told you the last time I can't handle this or I don't want anymore or I've had enough of this. Will you fight to know Jesus? I would put before you now that at those times where it is most easy to give up and you feel like you deserve most to stop the fight, those are the times where you must fight to know Jesus. Your faith is not perfected in the times where you can, with a smile on your face, say, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, your faith is perfected through perseverance of trial, of going through the fire of life. When God forms in you character and puts you through the fires of life and says, do you love me? When life tells you you have every reason to give up, Every reason to throw it all away. Every reason to say your faith is garbage. Forget about it. It's, it's got you in this part of your life. Why do you need it? It is those moments that you have to ask yourself, will I fight to know Jesus? Will the fire burn me or will it purify me? When I think I come to the point of entitlement for my salvation and for the life I deserve, will I ask, will I be burned by God life or will I be purified by the fires of God? That every impurity, every entitlement, every circumstance, everything I wanted or thought I needed or thought I couldn't handle or life through my way when God purifies me and purges it from me. Will I fight to know him more? Or I throw up my hands and walk away. Will you fight to know Jesus, church? The lie that persists is the lie of goods, of materials, of entitlements. Of some white picket fence life. And when we give in to that lie, when resistance comes, when trials comes, if you've been reading with the daily Bible reading, as Peter describes it, as when fiery trials come your way. The persistent lie 
is that in those moments, God understands if I give up and I toss him to the wayside. But the truth of it is, will you fight to know Jesus? Those moments, we find out what we're made of, what our faith is made of, what our life in Jesus is made of. Is it roses and sunshine and flowers all day long? Or is it God, when all else fails me, you are enough? Is it God, you give and you take away? What I enter into the world with, I will depart. Many will be shocked on the final day to find out that the door will not be open to them. We have known all the stats, all the popular verses, all the political sayings about Jesus, but we did not know him. Proximity will not save us. Lineage will not save us. The only one who will save us on that day who will let us through the door, the narrow door, will be Jesus Christ himself. And you must know him to gain entrance and if you struggle with whether you know him or not, then I will put this before you. Do what Jesus says. Fight. Fight to enter into that narrow door. Give everything you got that even on my worst of days when everything I got is to lay in my bed and to read the scriptures. That may be my fight that day. but it was different than laying in my bed and cursing God and my circumstances and my life around me. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, help us to be sober-minded. Sober up our walk with you. Some of us feel like the fight has been kicked out of us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now and breathe new life into us. Give us strength, God. Give us mercy. I know you came and wished that all might be saved. Give us courage, God. That your spirit would breathe new life into us. That whatever anger that we have held on to, whatever pain we've kept boxed away in our heart, 
whatever unforgiveness or trial that felt knocked us off the course, that your spirit would come right now and breathe fresh life into us to release all of those things and begin to contend again for our life with you. That the enemy will know that we are not so easily distracted, that we are not so easily knocked down, that we are your church. We are your children. Be with us, even now as we worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, we'll have our prayer team in the back. I feel like some of us, like I was praying, feel like the fight got knocked out of us. And if you want prayer, if you feel like you've gotten to the end of yourself and you just need somebody else to lift you up at this point, we wanna lift you up, we wanna pray with you. If there's another need in your life, I invite you at any moment during worship to come to the back and our prayer team will be with there to pray. Let's worship together. <laughs> 